Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Well, I just want to say again to be the fourth or fifth person to tell you welcome to Banner Church. We're excited that it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to every mom and grandma and everyone who is mom to someone. We really appreciate you. We value you. Uh, and if it's your first time here, we want to say just a special welcome to you. We're excited that you're here this morning. And uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Banner Church. This is my wife, Katie. Uh, we pastor here together with Dana and Bridget and the whole team, and we're so excited um, to be a part of this church and a part of what God's doing. And we're also excited because we've never actually preached together before, right? So this is the first time us preaching together, which was fun. Um, <laughs> uh, but Mother's Day is really important to us here at Banner Church because we have a a lot of great moms, great grandmothers, people who are great mothers uh, to children. And we, we just want to say we value you. We honor you. Honor is one of our core values. So we say this morning, moms, we honor you for who you are. And I also know, you know, today is sometimes a very tough day for people. Not everyone celebrates or feels like celebrating on Mother's Day. And so I want to encourage you. That maybe if today is even a tough day for you, that this morning as, as we walk through this message, it's really my prayer that God would encourage you and strengthen you and that you would leave this morning, regardless of how excited or concerned that you came in this morning, that you would leave encouraged because we believe that there's a word for you this morning. And uh, we're actually getting ready to start our series through sacrifice, which we're really excited about. It's going to be a really a compelling series as we examine what that means. And so we figured this morning that there's no better place to start than with mothers, right? Yeah. Um, and actually, as we were writing this message and just thinking about moms, and, you know, I'm a fairly new mom. I've been in a mom for two and a half years. Um, we were just kind of thinking, like, what are the things that I wish I had known about motherhood before I became a mom? And I have nine things that I'd like to share with you. The first one is that you should never Google it, ever. <laughs> just don't. Don't ever Google it. Your kid is either has gas or is growing a third arm. There's, like, nothing in between. So if you have a question, just ask your doctor. I wish someone would have told me that. Um, the second is that I didn't know I would care so desperately about the bowel movements of another human being. <laughs> is she pooping too much? Is she not pooping enough? You know, those are those things that no one tells you you're going to care about. Number three is I didn't know how much holding a tiny hand would be the most amazing thing ever. Even at that tiny stage where they just grip onto it because you put it there, that's awesome. But now at the age she wants to hold my hand like that. Um, number four is that after waiting desperately for months for her to say mama, all I want now is for her to stop screaming it at me. <laughs> all day long, mama. Why couldn't she scream papa? I mean, come on. Um, number five is that crumbs are not a choice, they are the inevitable. I used to go over to my friend's house before I had kids and I would just be like, this is disgusting. You literally have like granola bar like ground into your table. And now I'm like, yeah, I get it, I understand. No matter how clean you are, it's just, it's gonna happen. Um, number six is that even the toughest, most brutal days melt away by laughing and playing with my daughter. She comes up with the most crazy things that she wants me to do, and I'm normally this, like, uptight person. I'm not good at pretending, but she, like, forces me to be this playful, happy person. So that's, that's awesome. Um, number seven is that privacy is a thing of the past. 
restrooms, showers, my closet, those are no longer solo missions. Those are all alongside my two-year-old. Um, number eight is that your kid doesn't want to eat their food. They want to eat your food. It doesn't matter if your food is the same. They yes. want whatever you're having because it's extra special because it's mom's. And um, number nine is that I didn't know how much I could love another tiny little human being. She's this small, but like the entire world is like how much I love her. So those are those things. That's good. Is that good? Yeah. Come on. This is my wife's first time ever preaching, so y'all got to, you know, get on it with the amens and stuff. We're going to go old school. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to get that later. Uh, you know, really, the love of a mother is a powerful thing. And this morning, we want to look at this motherly love and look at an example of this motherly love together. And we're going to look in kind of what I would deem the less likely or the least likely place. Um, for that. And so we're going to look at someone named Rizpah. And Rizpah is kind of an unusual name. It's not what we would deem as like one of the big name biblical characters. It's maybe not like the go-to choice for Mother's Day. Uh, and you can generally tell how popular a biblical narrative is based off how many people in the room know someone with that name. So raise your hand if you know someone named Rizpah. Come on, be someone... Doug, Doug Wood, though. <laughs> All right. But, you know, it's an unusual name. It's an unusual topic. And, you know, it's often you know, people are thinking, you know, why not, why not marry? Or, you know, let's, let's, go, let's go with some big ones here. But, you know, we really felt like there's something here. And so I don't know if any of you have heard a sermon on Rizba, but this morning we're going to be looking in 2 Samuel and discussing what this means. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel 21.10. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry. We're going to have words on the screen once we get to verse 10. Oh, perfect. There they are now. We probably don't need them yet, but thank you. Um, but we're going to read that in just a moment. But before we do, let's pray this morning. Let's focus our hearts, and I, I believe God's just going to begin to speak to us. Well, God, we thank you this morning that we can gather here. God, we thank you for moms. We thank you not only that, that they are moms, but, God, that they are an example and so, God, as we look at a mother in Scripture, we pray this morning that you would soften our hearts and open our minds that our lives might be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we jump into this, I think it's important to give some context because it's kind of a unique story. I guess it's not what I would consider the happiest story <laughs> to choose. And as we wrestled with it, we had to wrestle with the reality. In fact, can you just put up the Mother's Day graphic instead of this for me? Like just, yeah, thank you. Um, so we're almost there. But, you know, it's not what I would consider one of the happiest stories on earth, but I really think that it has an empowering message, an encouraging message, even amidst what's happening. And I think that before we, we get into the scripture, uh, the context is so important because it's crucial for informing our understanding of what's happening. But we're not taking it just to surface value, but we're going deeper. And so the, what we're going to read this morning in 2 Samuel 21 comes at a time of intense famine. So it's during the reign of King David, and there's been famine for three successive years. And so David, in response to this famine, goes before the Lord and says, you know, what's up? 
Like, what, why is there famine for three years? So he comes before God, and the Lord informs David that the reason that there's famine is because of the massacre that happened to the Gibeonites, um, you know, years before or previously. And so who are the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites were these descendants of the Amorites, which now everyone's like, oh, of course, descendants of the Amorites. But the Amorites had come back in the day to Joshua pretending to be from a faraway land. And so they disguised themselves, and they came to Joshua, and they said, would you make a treaty with us not to attack us? Joshua uh, makes a treaty with them under his own will, so to speak, and comes to find out that these Amorites aren't actually from far away. They're from the exact land that God has called him to come in and take over. And so rather than killing the Amorites, they strike a deal that they would essentially be the water-carrying servants of the Israelites. So they would become servants of Israel. And you flash forward from Joshua to Saul, who was the king before David, and Saul, in his zeal, decides that he's going to lay waste to the Gibeonites. And that's a whole other message, so we won't get into it. But um, so he attacks the massacres, you know, the Gibeonites, there's this huge thing, but they survive. And so when David comes to the Gibeonites, he says, what can I do to make this right so that God will bring the rain. He's like, what, what's my penance for this, so to speak? What do I got to do so that God will send the rain? And the Gibeonites, interestingly enough, they don't ask to be freed from their position. They don't ask to be removed from that. They, they ask simply for seven of Saul's sons to be killed. And if we look at verse 8 through 9, it's, you know, the beginning of our kind of rough moment here, but it says, but the king took, and here's some big names. You're going to have to roll with me here on this. This is Old Testament. This is what happens. But the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, not Jonathan's Mephibosheth, but a different one for those who were worried. The two sons of Ai's daughter, Rizpah, whom she had born to Saul, together with the five sons of Saul's daughter, Merab, whom she had born to Adriel. Here we go. Son of Barzillai, the Mahaloathite. Nailed it. He handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed and exposed them on a hill before the Lord. It says, all seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first day of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. And so what we see in this moment is, is a pretty brutal moment. So I don't, it, it, it's tough. It feels like, man, that's kind of like a weird thing to pick for Mother's Day. But what we see is an interesting moment where these sons are taken and killed, basically crucified and hung out um, on this rock uh, before um, basically all of the elements. And in the midst of this tragedy, we encounter this person, this mother named Rizpah. And Rizpah was a concubine of Saul, and that meant she was beautiful enough and intelligent enough that, that the king saw her and basically wanted her. It wasn't for political reasons. It was mostly desire. So, you know, kind of glad we don't live in that time. Um, but it was mostly desire. And she was a mother of two sons who were adults, and she was in a unique position because she was part of the harem of a former king. And if you read through Scripture, she comes up another interesting time. And so she's in a very interesting position. And so we're going to look together at 2 Samuel 21.10 and read together, and we encounter this interesting person of Rizpah. Let's read this together. We'll, we'll look at this. The verse will be on the screen. It says, Rizpah, daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on a rock. 
From the beginning of harvest till the rain poured down from heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds of the air touch them by day or the wild animals by night. When David was told what Ai's daughter Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh Gilead. And here he's going to give a little context of why that was important. They had been taken... Um, they had taken them secretly from the public square at Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them after they struck Saul down at Galboa. David brought these bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed whew, and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish at Zela and Benjamin and did everything the king commanded. And here it says, after that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. Man, that is such a powerful piece of scripture. As a mother, it really pulls at my heart, but I think honestly, as a human being, that story should pull at your heart. Right here in the middle of this intense tragedy, she loses her son, um, we have this moment of incredible sacrificial love from a mother. And I believe that there are four things that we can learn about motherly love from Rispa. So this morning, we're going to walk through that. The first thing that we see is that a mother's love is selfless. You know, I had never really thought of myself as being a selfish person. Um, my whole life, I have served at churches in every area imaginable. You know, I've helped my family. I've served my husband faithfully. I cook and clean. And I just would never have thought of myself as being a selfish person. But I will never forget one morning I was talking to one of my mentors um, just about parenthood in general. And she was telling me the importance of being a parent. She said that when you become a parent, you see the truly selfish, selfless nature of God our Father. <laughs> when you become a mother, everything that you do is meant to keep that child alive. You get up every one and a half hours to feed them. You sacrifice literally everything you used to know about sleep so that they'll make those weight milestones. You sacrifice time with friends and others so they can give your child both the attention that they need and so that you can give them a routine that they can thrive from. Um, becoming a mom showed me that in almost all things, I was a selfish person. I got up when I wanted to. I went to bed when I wanted to. I pursued the things that I was interested in. I couldn't help but think of myself first because it was just me. Um, but when I had Lucy, everything had to shift. I still live life, and I still love bringing her along with me, but oftentimes I have to lay down what I consider are my rights so that I can preserve the well-being of my child. And I know that there are many mothers who sacrifice way more than that. They sacrifice life goals, dreams, desires, careers. And I think that from Rizba, we see that this is just an incredible act of selflessness and sacrifice. Verse 9 and 10 reference two really important things. The first is that these men were hung, and the second is that she set herself up on a mountain with sackcloth. In Deuteronomy 21:23, it tells us that any man that is hung is cursed. And if a man is hanged, it usually means he did something really bad to get himself there. But we know from context that these men were not killed for their own sins. There was nothing that they had done that got them there. They were there because of their father Saul's sins. And I think Rizba wanted to be certain that people knew these men has not died as stubborn and rebellious sons. And she knew that there was nothing that she could do to stop it. So despite all of that, 
Rizba's response was not to hide in shame or to be paralyzed by her grief or the fear of what might happen to her. Instead, she creates a tent for herself out of sackcloth, which is not exactly the nicest thing ever. She takes herself out of the palace where she was living as a concubine, and she goes into the wild on a mountain, like out in the wilderness. She takes herself out of comfort and puts herself directly in harm's way. She didn't let what might happen to her change her decision. Rizba's love threw down all personal preference and selflessly protected her children. The great thing about moms is that they're not scared of getting dirty. I can't tell you how many really adorable outfits I have worn that have just gone the way of yogurt, you know? <laughs> but seriously, if my daughter comes into harm's way, there's literally nothing that I would not do to save her. No one could stop me from rescuing her. Moms are not concerned with themselves. They're concerned with their kids and with their kids' safety. Rizba's love for her sons was absolutely selfless. She was propelled by her unwavering love for her children to look beyond safety, to look beyond convenience or comfort for herself. As moms, we are called to live out Philippians 2.3 and count others as more significant than ourselves. And Rizba is a great example of that. The second thing that we find in Rizba is that a mother's love is fierce. I think, you know, fierce is described as furiously eager or intense. And I think a lot of times when women are described as fierce, we come up with this one idea of what that woman is, and it's usually really loud. <laughs> but let's be honest, I mean, my mom, I would put her at the top. She is incredibly fierce and strong, but my mom has an incredible spirit of gentleness. Um, when I was little, my family had a boat. It's this really awesome 20 and a half foot boat we used to go out on in the summer in the San Juan Islands when we lived in Washington. I have six people in my family, and we camped on this boat. I don't know if you know anything about boats, but this is a hilariously small boat for six people to camp on. It's not like we parked it somewhere and then went camped. No, we laid all of us, all six of us, in this tiny little boat. Um, one morning during breakfast, I remember we used to do like hot cocoa and my parents would do coffee and stuff and my sister was passing this thermos of really hot water past me and it ended up being defective and the bottom dropped out and it spilled all over my legs, covering my legs in second and third degree burns. Um, for weeks, I couldn't walk. I had bandages all over my legs. Um, my mom has dealt with incredible back pain ever since I can remember. I mean, probably since the time I was two or three. Had multiple surgeries, especially at this time in her life. She was going through a lot of surgeries, a lot of time in the hospital. And I remember, I mean, these are some of my earliest memories. I remember being at my house, my mom picking me up off the couch and every day taking me to the doctor. She never complained. She never talked about the pain or just the sacrifice that it caused her. My mom wouldn't have even let someone take that away from her. It was her joy to be my fierce defender, and it was her joy to carry my burdens. My mom was fierce, still is. It's true. <laughs> um, when we look at Rizpah's scenario, we're faced with this incredible picture of love. She's out on the mountain in a place that they would leave dead bodies to hang for six months. Just think about that. That's gross. <laughs> I imagine it's not close to town. Um, how is she getting food and water? I, I don't think there are bathrooms or showers nearby. 
Not to mention that there are animals that want to eat her children and probably anything else that got in their way. Verse 10 says, And she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. I want to make sure you see this. It says day and night. It doesn't say like they all happened at one certain time so she could get it all done. You know, animals are animals. They come around whenever they feel like it. This was not part-time job for Rizba, and there were no government-mandated breaks. Rizba, I know, I'm sorry, I have really nerdy humor. It's okay. <laughs> Just, you know, go along with me. Um, Rizba, a concubine of Saul, a woman probably in her 50s to 60s, lived outside for six months, staving off the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And these aren't like the cuddly, fuzzy kinds of animals. You know, these aren't like bunnies and whatnot. Like, these are lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. Um, <laughs> and I just want you to picture, like, how is she doing this? Like, she's one woman. Is she, like, waving sticks in the air or, like, yelling at them loudly? I, I don't know. It was probably a really interesting sight to see. It's kind of like those stories you hear about moms who lift cars off their children. It makes literally no sense. It's not physically possible. It doesn't seem to, like, have any possibility. And yet, the fierce, strong love that they have is enough. Rispa didn't fight with words or loud protests, but with action, with determination, and with tenacity. And church, I think we need to be honest and say that there are vultures and beasts in this world that are after our children. Pornography, violence, anger, loneliness, and addiction. I think these are just some of the many things that are seeking to tear our children apart. These are very real, visceral things. Don't let your kids, your friends' kids, your family go down without a fight. Like Rispa, we must use everything that we can to beat away the things that would come against our children. These things have no place in the lives of God's children. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If you've been fighting, don't give up. God always hears us, so keep fighting. The third thing that we see is that a mother's love is relentless. <laughs> Rizba's love wasn't for a day. She was there for months. Verse 10 says, From the beginning of the harvest until the rain fell from the heavens. Research says that this was most likely from May to October. So I want you to think, what were you doing six months ago? Now fast forward to now. Imagine that entire time that you have been outside in the wilderness, fighting off birds and beasts and things like that, living in the hot sun of the summer, just a sackcloth for protection. <laughs> I mean, that is some perseverance from this lady. She stayed and fought. She was there until the rain fell from the heavens. That's what it says. The rain that fell on the lands was God's answer to everyone's prayer for the famine to end. So if we follow it chronologically, Rizpah stayed until the rain fell. But the rain didn't fall until David saw what she was doing, came and took the bones away, and buried them and John, or yeah, Jonathan and Saul in a proper burial. She was there until she was answered. She didn't just give up when it got hard. I think Rispa would have stayed her whole life until she got the answer that she wanted. She didn't get a day one or day 30. And truly, that's the love of a mother. 
1 Corinthians 13, 7 through 8 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, that love never ends. You know, being a mom is tough. <laughs> I think back to the first two months that we were here, and honestly, it felt like an eternity. As a mom, I was dealing with a toddler who was unhappy 24-7. I mean, nothing brought her joy, not puppies or cookies or days at the park or spending time with us. Nothing made her happy. Every day was a battle to love my child. And I know, you know, I would brought her to this new place. She was in this intense transition away from family and friends and literally everything that she knew. But there were days that I honestly just didn't think I had anything left. And I can only imagine that there are many of those days for Rizba, out there, biting away. But in that struggle, I knew that there was only one thing that would bring me comfort, that would bring my daughter comfort, and it was God. Only seeking God, only asking him to fill me would possibly restore me. I needed him to help me relentlessly love my daughter. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally to relentlessly love someone. It doesn't. That's why we need God. Moms, do not let the world of Instagram fool you. Parenting is really tough, and it doesn't come with filters. <laughs> if you're struggling, ask God to fill you. And if you've been asking, don't give up asking. God will fill you. We have to be willing to say to him, God, I don't have enough of your power. I don't have enough of your presence. God, I am insufficient. Mm. But with you, I know that I will be. God, you will make me strong enough. In my weakness, you will make yeah. me strong. That's good. The only thing that's going to get you through is God. No matter how good or bad of a mom you feel like, nothing is going to get you through the season of being on the mountain fighting off the wild beasts but God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing what is good, for in due season you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Yeah, come on. Matthew 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's good. We have one more thing this morning that we really see in Rizba, and you know, even though it's a, a tragic story, there's something really powerful that, that rests here in a mother's love. And I have to say, what, what moves me about the story isn't even just what it says about Rizpah or what it says about mothers, but more importantly, what it says about Jesus. Because I, I really believe that the fourth thing we see in Rizpah is that a mother's love is a powerful reminder of Jesus' love. And see, no matter if you're a mother or not, right, this morning, this kind of love has to, if you know the love of Jesus, it has to point us back to the love of Jesus Christ, to the greatest act of sacrificial love of all time. And see if you can find the connection because Jesus Christ, who was in heaven, who was completely God, came to earth to be completely God and completely man, to bear all the scorn, to bear all the pain. He came down to the rocks for us. That he would go to the cross in this ultimate act of sacrificial love, this ultimate act of love for us, that he would defeat death, hell, and the grave and rise again. And he did that for you, right? He did that for me. 
And what I love about that is that we don't know what, you know, if they were good sons or not. We don't know. And this morning I'm going to say it doesn't matter if you feel like you've been a good son or daughter. God came to die for you and to bring you life. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, when we read the scripture, church, it should begin to burn inside of us a desire to be that selfless, that fierce, that relentless. But why? Because we want to be that much like Jesus. And I remember this all the time, that Jesus didn't just come to die for my daughter. She's the one you can sometimes hear screaming in the back. (laughs) She didn't come just, he didn't come just to die for her. He came to die for all daughters, all around the world, all sons, all mothers, all fathers, all around the world. But can we be honest today, church, just like Katie referenced, that just like there were vultures and animals that were trying to come against uh, Rizba's children, that there are things that want to come against our children. And when I say our children, I mean the children of this generation, our children. If you didn't know they were your responsibility, you know now. (laughs) But there's evil that wants to destroy the children of this generation, that wants to hurt the children of this generation. And I believe that God is calling for a church that says enough is enough. Right? I believe that God is calling for a church that says, like Rizba, that says, I could stay where I am and I could avoid the shame and the pain and the scorn. Or here's what I could do I could go grab a stick or a towel or whatever she used. I could go down onto the rocks. I could say, Not today, Satan, right? Not today, right? That these are not your children, these are our children. For every mother who has prayed for her child, for every child without a mother to be prayed for, that they don't belong to the enemy. They don't belong. This generation does not belong. They belong to the Lord. And church, let me tell you, this church will be a church of people who stand on the rocks. And we're going to stand on the rocks till the rain comes for this generation, till we see the promises fulfilled, right? See, we're not going to give up believing in the fulfillment of the promises for this generation, that God would move, that God would change, that God would transform, that God would free. And I know, Mom, some of you, because I have a mom and I'm married to a mom, <laughs> is that mothers worry deeply about their children. Some of you guys, you have kids that are in a tough situation. Some of you, you have kids that you did everything for, but they still aren't aren't following the Lord, aren't walking with Him. And you worry for them. Your heart aches for them. Some of you, uh, you're worried about your kids that are going to start going to school. I think about that all the time. What's my kid going to learn? What's she going to be exposed to? And I worry. Some of you guys don't even have babies yet. You're already worrying about, about the baby you don't even have yet. But we worry. We're worried about how we're going to be looked at, how we're going to be perceived. Mothers worry all the time. I I go online all the time, and it's just moms worrying about how they're being viewed. And can I say this morning, church, at Banner Church, to every mom, we do not judge you. We say, I got you. Right? At Banner Church, we we don't judge you or, or your children or your life or what's happened or your struggle or your hurt or your pain. We say, I got you. Right? Amen. Turn, turn to somebody and say, I got you.
Turn to somebody else and say it louder. I got you. Perfect. Come on. Mom, you got one of the toughest jobs on earth. You have one of the most thankless jobs on earth. You have one of the most unappreciated jobs on earth, one of the most unending jobs on earth. And can I just say as a church, we say to you this morning, we got you. As a church, we are with you. We're with you when you win. We're with you when you feel like you fail. We're with you in, when you're on the rocks and you're fighting off the things that are coming against your children. We say, we got you together. That's the church that we're believing for, is to say, moms, you're not alone this morning, that we're with you. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm really believing for that. Can I be honest? I don't want to get like go too hard because it's Mother's Day, you know, but can I just say when I hear the story of Rizpah, can I say, I believe that God's waiting for a church that would rise up and that would go down to the rocks and would fight for the children of this city who would say, I'm not okay with the addiction that's coming into our schools. I'm not okay with pornography that's ravaging our young um, boys and girls. I'm not okay with sex trafficking. I'm not okay with, with loneliness and isolation and self-harm and identity crisis. I'm not okay with that. I'm gonna choose to go down to the rocks and, and to fight the things that would come against kids, even if I don't have any kids. What a better story this would be if the city had come out and stood with Rizpa to fight for the sake of her children. How unified of a city. How, what would that have done to Israel? Because if you keep reading, it doesn't get better for them. But what could have happened if a city had come together and said, we're not gonna stand for that anymore. We're with you, mom. We're with you, moms. And I think most importantly, can I say this morning, God is saying to every mother, every person who feels stuck, whether you're a mom or not, who feels like you're on the rocks with no more energy, no more life, God is saying, not only do all of we have you, and God's saying, I got you. I'm with you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? In the Bible, it says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you this morning, you feel like you're out on the rocks and you're battling for your children or the, maybe the child, some children you know or the children in your school or the children in this nation and you see that battle, but you're out on the rocks and you're saying, God, I don't know if I have anything left. God, I don't know if I have what it takes to make it six months, let alone even just, I don't have what it takes to make it six days. God, I need you. Lord, I need you to strengthen me. I wanna be a selfless, fierce, relentless person who fights for these children, God. But God, I need you. I need you in my heart to revive me, to encourage me, to ignite me, to restore me, whatever it is, so that I might go out, not with my strength, but with your strength. And some of you this morning, you came here and you didn't know what you were expecting, but God wants to say, with every head bowed and eye closed all around this place, he says, right now, if you would lay it down at my feet, maybe you've laid it before, but if you would lay it down again, if you lay it down for the first time, your children or the 
hurt or the pain or your situation, that he will fill you and restore you, that he will lift you up, that though you might feel at on the rocks and day and night, the enemy is coming against you and against your family and against your city and against your school. God wants to say, I can fill you this morning. I can fill every broken part. I can repair every broken thing and I can restore you. And so you can go out and pray like you've never prayed before and battle like you've never battled before and give like you've never given before that we might see this city and the children of this city rise up as a generation that knows the love of Jesus like never before because we did battle on the rocks till the rains came. We believe that this morning and I want to pray for you. All around this room with every eye closed and head bowed, I want to invite you. If you're willing to say this morning, you're saying, God, I need that. I need that strength. God, I need that passion. I don't care, man, woman, mother, father, whoever you are saying, I need that passion to fight or continue fighting for children in my family, in my life, or in my city. God, would you restore and revive me this morning? I welcome you in. Would you restore and revive me? Would you just lift your hands so you can receive that this morning and say, God, would you begin to revive me? God, would you begin to restore me? God, would you begin to ignite in me a passion? Yes, God. Also this morning, if you're saying, I don't even know this Jesus. I don't even know this Jesus that we're referring to, but I want to, I need that. I need something to break loose in my life. And so this morning I say, God, would you come into my life and change me? I give it to you. I'm recommitted to you or I give it to you for the first time. Would you just raise your hand this morning? God, I give my life to you. Let's pray together. If you're one of those people that raise their hand that you want to receive that revival, that change, that shift in your heart, that power, that passion to fight this battle for the children and your family and in the city, would you just raise your hand again with every eye closed and head bowed? Receive of this this morning. Let's pray together. God, with our hands raised, with our hands out to you, you see the mothers, the fathers, the people in this church. And God, we pray right now for every battle that's occurring. God, we pray for for every fight that's happening right now, whether seen or unseen. God, we pray a mighty move of you in that situation, God, that the chains that are on would break loose, that, that the enemy that's coming against, God, the vultures and the beasts that come against us while we're in this fight, God, that you would, in your mighty power, deliver our children, these children, from that, that you would do a work in this situation, God. God, I pray right now for every person who feels like they're on the rocks. God, I pray for an enduring passion that can only come from you. God, would you fill us right now in the name of Jesus? Would you fill every heart? Would you restore every fire to fight for our children, God? Restore every passion in the name of Jesus this morning. Would you just receive that wherever you're at? Receive that. God is saying, I am with you. We rejoice, Jesus, that you are with us this morning. In your name, amen. I want to do one last thing while everyone's still standing in this heart, in this heart of worship. So we want to sing this song, and it says, God, I look to you. It says, I won't be overwhelmed. And can I say, sometimes, mothers, <laughs> everyone, we all do, we feel overwhelmed. And I would say, if you could leave this morning, may I encourage you 
no matter how overwhelmed you might feel, no matter how exhausted you might feel, can we just give that to the Lord and worship this morning? Can we say, God, I might be overwhelmed, I might be exhausted, but you know what? I'm, I'm just gonna speak this out and say, I will love you, Lord, with all of my strength.